Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before as we kick off the first full work week of 2023. Can you believe that we're in the 23rd year of this century already? Time is really scooting on past, isn't it? It won't be long till it'll be springtime, be summer, and then we'll all be hustling, bustling, buying Christmas presents again. It's just a never-ending cycle. Hope you're doing well this week, and I have a special guest on today's program. Carla Fowler will be here to join me in a few seconds. I guess last week, the big thing that happened happened on Monday night, Monday night football. There is no doubt in my mind when the television ratings are looked at this week, what will be the most watched television program last week? It has to be Monday night football, which usually is a top ratings program anyway. But then the injury to DeMar Hamlin, which I got to think a majority of the country watching to see what was going to happen to DeMar as he was taken off the field. He was given CPR on the field and then taken off. And then the game was not played and they ended the football broadcast, of course, and started the commentary on everything. But such a good ending to a story is. DeMar woke up in the hospital, and his first question to the doctor was, did we win? And the doctor said, well, you won. You won the game of life, buddy. And there's been a lot of people watching and praying and believing God for your recovery, and you're going to be okay. We're glad to see you. We're glad you've regained consciousness. And so I think his toy drive charity had like $2,500 or $3,000 before He got hurt, and then after he got hurt, word got out about this charity that he does for kids and all, and it was almost $3 million the last time I checked it of people who just were opening up their generosity toward DeMar Hamlin. So that story so far is ending very, very well, and DeMar is on his road back to doing what he loves doing. I watched a video that night because I got curious about heart attacks in sports. And I watched a sports medicine doctor who, I mean, he was on it really fast. had already uploaded a video to YouTube while a lot of this was still going on. And the video was short, just a couple minutes long. But he was going through the cycles that a heart makes. 
And there are phases, there are about four or five phases your heart goes through as it cycles through as it's pumping blood. And if you take a traumatic blow to the chest during one of those particular phases of the cycle, you can induce cardiac arrest. And he was hypothesizing, and I guess correctly so, that and all of the and I can't remember what the phases are, but they had letters. It was kind of like the D M Q R F, and that's not right. I'm just making stuff up, but it was letters like that. And during the F phase, if let's say you get a blow, that can induce the heart to go into cardiac arrest. And evidently it was just the right moment, the right spot at the right exact second for that to happen. And it's just kind of amazing. In one way, you think, wow, what a million and one chance of that happening. And then in another way, it's like, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, especially in boxing or pro wrestling matches where there's a lot more contact and a lot more trauma that's inflicted that we haven't seen that happen more. And maybe we did and we didn't know. Because I know in boxing and wrestling, both, there have been deaths in the contest or immediately following it. And so that could have been part of it. And maybe we just didn't have the research or the knowledge to know back then that that could be something that could happen. But because of the way this was publicized and seen by so many people, this is going to be talked about for quite some time and is probably going to induce even more conversation about this particular incident and the things that can happen to you in all sports, not just professional sports, but all sports. And we're just so glad DeMar is going to be okay. That's the main thing. And that he is back making his recovery and on the road to better health. So that's fantastic. Okay. My good friend, Carla Fowler is here and I want to go to the interview with Carla now here on better than before. Well, today on Better Than Before, I'm excited to have a special guest, Carla Fowler. She founded FAXA, T-H-A-X-A, out of a passion for performance science, where the fields of strategy, productivity, and psychology intersect. Since its inception in 2013, FAXA's scientific approach to individualized coaching has attracted a devoted client base of dozens of executives at firms ranging from Fortune 500 technology to venture-backed startups to innovative nonprofits. Carla's coaching methods draw upon the multidisciplinary field of performance science to generate the best ideas surrounding strategy, execution, and mindset to assist leaders in their endeavors. Over the past 10 years, she has distilled the key principles of performance into understandable concepts and a method that helps leaders incorporate these ideas into their day-to-day -day performance, helping them go faster and also improve their results. Outside of her coaching, Carla truly enjoys sharing her key performance principles with audiences while engaging in thought-provoking conversations surrounding her passion for performance science. She graduated from Brown University, magna cum laude, and earned her MD and PhD at the University of Washington. She also completed her internship in general surgery at Stanford University. You probably have 
already guessed why I would have the wonderful Carla Fowler on the program today. And I just mentioned some of those reasons. I've been looking forward to this for a while now, Carla. Thanks for joining us. Tony, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're here because people who follow me on social media and listen to this show and also just people who generally know me know that performance is what I'm all about. And I get the opportunity to have such an expert today talk to us about that. How do you define performance science? When I think about performance science, it clearly has its roots in sort of athletics, like thinking about how we coach people to be better at their sport. But clearly the field has come a long way since then. And how I define it as a field is that it's really all the ideas and the science that contribute to our understanding of how do we do our best work? How do we improve our results? And whether that's being a CEO, whether that is you know trying to make an impact socially, And so when I think about performance science, it's got a lot of different fields contributing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it's really best to break it down by sort of category of ideas. Okay. Um, Because again, I'm really interested in my practice in helping people use this stuff. So I clearly have an academic background, but the thing that really kind of gets me excited is applying ideas. How do you get... Yeah. yeah how, how do you use it practically? Right. I mean, yeah. theory is this to someone. Yeah. Theory is great. But how do I become a better executive? What can I do to increase my performance? Now, it wasn't in the wonderful thing that I just read there about you, but were you an athlete? I have spent a lot of time being an athlete and I, I am still an athlete. I played <laughs> college sports. So I was a rower in college. And after college, I spent about a decade playing elite level ultimate Frisbee. Well, that's awesome. I was a baseball player. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Been a long time ago, you know, but yeah, I think a lot of my performance, I related back to the things that I learned from my coaches in athletics. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, and I think a lot of my coaching style is very athletically based. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I was afraid that I was going to find out from you today. I've been doing this wrong, but (laughs) you know, maybe I've been doing a couple of things, right? Well, Tony, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Just that thought about a lot of maybe your coaching has been influenced by those experiences Sure, because I think coaching spans a broad range of different needs and a broad marketplace. But for me and my philosophy of coming at coaching is that, of course, the client is always the focus, but part of the goal of having a coach is actually having someone outside yourself who can help you self-explore. Yes. But also you're there because you want to be better. And so I think a key piece, I often think of it as like client partnered, maybe is a little more accurate than client driven because part of the goal is of course, to let the client establish what are the goals, like where do they want to go? But as a coach, you also have to be saying, hey, have you considered this? Like bringing up some things that are outside of that, not just what is in the client's brain. I think they're coming to you to say, hey, I think there might be some other things that I need to know that I might not be thinking about. Yeah. Um, I think one of the concepts I embrace a lot is that you are perfectly aligned to get the results you're getting. And so it's congruent. (laughs) That's right. 
And so if you want a different and or better result, then we're going to have to do a couple things differently. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm interested in hearing from you right now is what are the things that high performers do that might be different than your average performer? There's a couple of principles that I really pull out of performance science because there's a lot of ideas that are there. And so again, when you want to apply something, you don't need a million ideas. You need a couple really good ones. So, and when I think about the principles that I really use as lenses, they span sort of three arenas of performance science. And again, these come partly from what I have seen high performers doing, but also from really looking at the science. And so the three kind of arenas of performance, I think are strategy or that idea of saying, X is actually more important than Y. This Mm -hmm. thing is more important than doing all these other things. We have to have a priority plan. Priority plan. Yes. Second piece or second arena is really execution. How do you do things effectively and efficiently once you've decided like what it is you're going to focus on? And then the third arena is really around mindset. This idea of saying, what is your emotional or your mental lens that you're kind of looking at everything through that determines kind of how you're thinking and feeling. I could be wrong. You let me know, but it sounds like that might be the most complicated one. Well, sometimes it it can be the least tangible for people. And so depending on how comfortable people are swimming in that water, yes, it can be complicated. I mean, on the first one strategy, we got to figure out where our priorities are, right? And the sequence in which We need to place value on the things that need to be done. And then execution. Tell me about that. So when you're working with a client on that area, what are you usually Uh, talking about? Well, actually, I want to go back to the first one because (laughs) that's okay. Because I actually think so. The three kind of principles that I work with people on from performance science that I think high performers do well are number one, brutal focus. And that relates back to strategy. Number two, learning to cultivate power or influence. And that is really important to that execution. Like, how do you get things done? Because Mm -hmm. usually when you want to do something ambitious or at scale, it inevitably involves other people. It's not just you. And then that third one is really to learn to relish uncertainty. And that really relates back to mindset. And so again, I view performance science and these principles as feeding off of each other. And one of the reasons I like coaching from these principles is that it helps us create this foundation that allows us to sort of build from the ground up so that we don't get distracted. We don't over-index on some element of leadership that may be important, but definitely isn't the whole ballgame. And it really allows us to sort of try and get those things to feed off of each other, right? Like if you actually pick the right things, when you execute on those, you tend to get better results. And like that's sort of an upward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to that principle of brutal focus, I think it's really important. It's not a simple question for people that what do you want? Because you actually have to start out with what do you want before you actually ask, well, what is most important for that? If you want to have a business where you get to take 12 weeks of vacation a year and like make a good living, that looks really different from if you want your business to rocket ship to the top of, you know, your industry, Right. Well, like what you do then for those priorities are going to look a little different. And that's and not a judgment that, on which is the best path. It's like, 
And Carla, is that as simple as just doing a like five year be do have exercise or something like that? Like five years, I want to be this, I want to do this and I want to have this. I think those are great descriptors and I don't use that exercise for people, oh, I, but sure. I, but that idea of those are great ways to sort of get at the challenge of that question. All I'm suggesting is using some kind of framework to give you clarity exactly. about, about yes. what you want your outcomes to be. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. And help you separate what's extraneous. Okay. So thank you for backing up to strategy for a moment there. Yeah, um, absolutely. But then you asked about execution. And yep. so, you know, the principle that I really see helping people is this idea of how do you sort of think about cultivating power and influence? And I think one of the first most important pieces of that is you have to have people start producing results. Now, generally people are already producing some results when they come in, but often they're wanting to go to the next level. And so we're looking at like, well, what are the results of the next level? What would that look like? And I find that often when people are trying to make that jump, they either get stuck and they don't get started. Like they're continually planning, researching, or learning. They get started, but they don't keep going. Like maybe they don't see instant results. And so they get kind of insecure about that, or they think, oh, maybe that was the wrong choice. And I have a question about that, but keep, <laughs> okay. keep, go, keep going. Third piece is maybe they keep going, but they're like, okay, I just got to keep going, but they actually don't iterate or improve, do some looping and an improvement as they're going along to say, well, what if we do this? Did the results get better? Okay. They didn't, but what if we do this? Okay. That was better. Let's keep going in that direction. Yeah. And so I think that's getting people in motion and kind of accepting that like, no, being in motion is better than not being in motion. And the game is always going to be iterative. That is just how growth and learning works. And I think that really helps people start to think like, not that they have to like perfect it every step of the way, but say, I need to be in motion. Am I in motion? Okay, great. Now I'm going to steer mm -hmm. a little bit. Absolutely. Okay, it's but, a like your car. I mean, what good does it do to just sit in your car in the garage? You're not getting any feedback and you're only going to get feedback once you're in motion. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you've ever sailed, but. Um, oh, yeah. I grew up on a very large lake in Kentucky that, uh, yeah, I love sailing. Yeah. Okay. Sailing is a great analogy. And I just came back from my first sort of sailing trip and I'm not an expert, but one thing I remember is if you are not moving in a boat, you cannot steer. So like the rudder does not work if water is not flowing over it. Right. So I think that's one really important piece. But I think the second piece is that people often miss, like they're focused on what are the results? Are the results good? And they miss the fact that actually in areas of life where it's hard to measure objective performance, then one of the factors that comes into play is does the network of people, do they see and perceive the results you're producing? And that that becomes a major factor in your success, not just are you producing great results? And so I like to bring that up because often we get so focused on just the result we're trying to produce that we're not thinking about like, how do I promote or make this visible? Like what I am doing and what is the role that other people are going to play in it? Not just assuming that like, oh, if I do great stuff, like people are just going to come in the door. People are going to find me. I think that's a really important piece of that cultivating power. And then the last piece, of course, is this idea of to do things at scale, you need other people and not just to see or appreciate you as we 
talked about in the second point, but to actually participate with you, to do the work with you. And so this idea of both thinking about your network, but also your team, right? Who are the people on your team? Do they know how to win? Have you made it clear what the goal is and how they can contribute and why they matter? I think most people want to contribute and want to win. And so part of that leadership responsibility is to like create a clear understanding of the playing field and also to help everyone understand the rules or the constraints and then help them get to play the game. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned it. My question kind of was, you know, performers get all excited because they're working with you. And they have clarity now on what they want to try to accomplish. They have a strategy and they begin to execute and they're off to the races and they're six weeks in. And then all of a sudden I'm bored with it or I've lost Mm -hmm. my empowerment or Mm -hmm. how do you get that sustained empowerment to continue on? Yeah. So we're kind of like, kind of getting into mindset here. So I love that you took it to the third principle. Hey, I'm just uh, here to yeah. ask the questions. I, you, you know, <laughs> That's one of those moments when it's really important to come back to the goal. And certainly one of the questions I ask people as we're trying to understand like what they really want is why they really want it. So one question is to come back to that and to sort of say, Hey, you know, this was really important to you for this reason. Does it feel like that reason has changed or is there actually something else kind of getting in the way? Like sometimes we might say, well, I feel bored, but maybe what that actually means is we haven't felt like we're getting positive signal back. And so what we're actually feeling is discouraged. Especially on things that are probably more long-term, you know, absolutely. you know, that are going to take a while, you know, people who make their new year's resolution and then by Valentine's day, they're off the diet or whatever. Sometimes it can be a sign of like some other piece of their life has gotten kind of steamrolled by maybe what is their kind of primary driver or goal. So it's always worth checking in about those things, like everything from sleep to Hey, are you having time with your family or exercise or the stuff that makes you, you and alive? Let's check in on that. I actually have a list of, (laughs) I have a list of self questions. I ask myself when I start feeling that way. That's great. Um, Have have I been to the chiropractor lately? Am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? There's probably 12 or 13 questions on that list. And I've published it before in blog posts, but it really does sort of come in handy to remind yourself that you have these maintenance things you have to keep. If you want the machine to work right, you know, you've got to do these things. Right. Absolutely. And then I think the other thing we talk a lot about is learning to relish uncertainty. So this is my third principle, actually, because I think part of what's hard about these long games when you're in something and you're building a company and that's going to take a while is that it means the period of time in which the big outcome is uncertain. And I think when we talk about that, there's a couple of different things that I help people do to relish, learn to relish uncertainty. One is just to kind of embrace it as a total strength, a strength of character, a strength of identity, to say, this is a thing that not a lot of people can do to kind of just manage the uncertainty and the discomfort of that over time. And that actually makes you special as a person. Like that is something to be proud of. Have you worked with people who certainty is the enemy? In other words, they've tried this 
10 times before and it's never worked for them. And so they're really attached to the certainty of this time isn't going to be any different. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I definitely encounter like that's a, that's a real human experience. Right. I I mean, I think it happens for all of us. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm just thinking about (laughs) listeners that are sitting out there right now saying to themselves, like, this all sounds wonderful, but I've tried this so many times. What's going to be different about this time? Right. And I think that's actually a good question to ask oneself. So I think that is actually a sign that someone's brain is working well, <laughs> I mean, and it's being rational yeah. um, to not just keep doing something when you keep getting a bad result or you feel like it isn't working. On the other hand, and again, part of coaching is acknowledging what's true, what could be true about a viewpoint. And then acknowledging that, like, or asking, are there other things that could be true about it? Like, what could be different this time? Like, Mm -hmm. are you different this time? Because I'm a big believer that we're growing and changing throughout our life. And in small ways, sometimes we don't even perceive it until we can, like, reference back, you know, like 10 years to a scenario where we're like, oh, yeah, no, actually, I would have handled that. I would have been really different in this situation. And when I look at how I handled it now, that represents growth. This may not be the right word, but it just occurred to me also, like, have you worked with people before who are absolutely desperate for this to work? I mean, their desperation is at a level where it's like, I'm willing to do whatever I got to do to make this work. I think that's also very human. Yes. They're just ready. Like whether they've had it with their own brain and like doing it on their own, or they're just ready to have a partner. Because mm-hmm. again, when you are a leader, that can be a lonely job. Uh, you can't maybe fully share with your board of directors or your investors. You also like can't fully share with your team. So right, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of different ways that people kind of find their way to coaching. And I think part of the job is also just sort of pacing with people appropriately. So if you have someone who is like convinced that something, they're like, I don't want to do this thing again. That really didn't work. First, I pay attention. Like there's probably some reasons that they're saying that, and it's good to understand why. But then part of learning to relish uncertainty is learning to run good experiments. And so one of the things, for example, with someone who's feeling that way, or someone who is desperate for change is to say, what is the right-sized experiment that we could run, that you'd be willing to run, that has the appropriate balance of upside to downside, which is like mostly upside very little downside. Um, What do you want to learn? What would be worth learning, right? What would really change your perspective about what was possible? How could we set that up? What are the right conditions? How long do we need to try it? What should we assess to say, did that work or not? What might be a follow-up experiment? But in science, we do this all the time. And like, that's my training, my background, but it's such a valuable tool to have in life and in work to say, I don't have to run the whole thing. I don't have to commit to, you know, starting a whole nother company. Like, for example, what experiment I run right now that would be low cost that might help me understand how I would feel about it, maybe how the market feels about it in a way that doesn't put me in a risky position that I'm desperate to not go back to. So I think a lot about working with people on running good experiments and to approach it from that mindset, because when we're running an experiment, we don't expect to know the answer ahead of time. 
that was, that was never a piece of science. You run the experiment because you don't know. Right. And it's okay that you don't know. We also, like when we approach life and work from a standpoint of running a good experiment, it also just helps us really be a little more excited to see what the outcome is versus like being, because you're going to learn something either way versus being really hung up on the answer has to be X. So in science, when you run a good experiment, you learn something, whether it turns out negative, like not what you expected or what you did expect. It advances you either way. So to recap, then the three big principles revolve around strategy, execution, and mindset, right? Now let's, do you care if we like shift gears here just a bit? No, not at all. All right. So let's talk about the mistakes. So Mm -hmm. what are the missteps or the issues or problems or mistakes that performers run into that are most common? One is this idea of a lot of times high performers have been very good at knowing things, controlling things and winning, winning. Yes. (laughs) So sometimes we get stuck because we want to know before we go and we want to get it all set up perfect. And so I like to just say like often for the opportunity and to be really going fast enough to achieve what you want to achieve, you have to go before you know. Do some homework. If there's stuff you could know, like absolutely go do it, but don't try and substitute trying to answer that feeling of uncertainty by like doing more and more research. Um, I think sometimes it's just a thought I have, but I think about the most successful coaches in athletics about how they were not necessarily the best players. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sometimes because they had a lot of opportunity to be a observer and they watched the coach more than they watched the game mm-hmm. or they were able to observe the coach and the game at the same time. And I think to your point, I think they saw the coach try stuff. Like yeah. there'd be certain points in games where coaches would just run experiments. They'd just say, well, let's, let's try this and see what happens where the game is maybe out of reach, or maybe it was a surprise to the opposition or something like that. And I think that all those experiences they observed that maybe players who were in the middle of the actual game experience didn't really pick up on that. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Well, and sometimes it's needing to just do something to like shake things up. Change the flow or the problem is the groove that you're in sometimes doing anything to just be not like in that groove will change the flow of a game. Yeah. Like cause your own disruption. Right. Exactly. Perfect. I love that. I think other mistakes, again, this is sort of related, but it's this idea that often high performing people are so good at like completing things. They can slow down because they actually want to sort of complete a phase or a thing, kind of perfect it before they move on. And this can be a little challenging, but when you're really trying to go fast, what it often means is actually you are already moving out of a phase into a new chapter before you've actually perfected the last chapter, but you got enough of the impact there that it's time to move on so you don't stagnate, so you don't miss the opportunity and maintain that momentum. And so I think that's an interesting thing that can happen. We already sort of talked about the like 90, 90, 90, like get started, keep going, improve what you're doing. I think the last biggest mistake is not taking time to think and define some things explicitly for themselves. 
when you're going really fast, it's easy to sort of say, well, I'm headed in that direction and to not actually explicitly sort of define what's your goal and what's most important for that. And I think the challenge of that is one of two things. If we don't define a goal that's challenging enough, what can often happen is we like, we achieve a lot of stuff, but because we haven't sort of defined it, we look at it and say, well, that was all yesterday. (laughs) What am I doing today? I call it performance discounting. And that actually can be sort of demotivating over time and lead to burnout because you work really hard, but you never have that moment of like rewarding or celebrating or saying, I did that. I said, that's terrible. That's so terrible. I said I was going to do it and I did it. And yes, now there's the next thing, but completing that cycle of intention. Most teams are just horrible at celebrating. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just don't take the opportunity. They'll beat themselves up on a regular basis, but they just (laughs) won't. They just won't take the time to actually celebrate some good achievements, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think those are some of the biggest mistakes that I see. You have got some gold going here today, Carla. So, I mean, I appreciate you so much for sharing all of this. I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell everybody how to find out more about you and stuff. But are you ready for these 12 closing questions I have for you? I am, I am ready. Are you? Okay. Yes, well, I'm going, to, so. I'm going to give them to you here because the audience is, is very interested in your answers. But what is the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? I think it was winning a world championship of beach ultimate Frisbee in Brazil. Oh, wow. It, it was a dream. That's fantastic. I didn't know there was a world championship for that. <laughs> it's okay. You know, niche sport. You, you've yeah. got to take your world championships where you can find them. <laughs> when was that? That was 2007. Oh, in cool. December. That's in not very long ago. Maceo, Brazil. That's yeah. cool. Thanks. Who's the number one hero in your life? This question always stumps me because I admire a number of people for different elements, but for me, you don't know everything about their lives. And so like, I totally admire Serena Williams as a tennis player, like phenomenal. Uh, That's probably my favorite movie of the year. Have you seen that movie? Mm -mm, No, I have not yet. You haven't seen King Richard. Oh my. I recommend every one of my clients to watch it. Okay. Excellent. It's fantastic. What's the top value you subscribe to? I think it is clarity, being able to see, own, and just improve my choices. Most important person in your life? Oh, it's myself. And the reason I say that is because when I am working on myself and improving myself, I am happier and better and everyone around me benefits. (laughs) We, We all deserve the best version of Carla. So I love that answer. And I always say that also is I just think people deserve to have the best version of you. One of my favorite things to do if I go to a high school reunion or something like that, when people say, boy, you sure have changed. And I'm like, God, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I want to keep moving. I want to keep growing. Yeah. If every year is a version of me, I I hope I didn't get stuck on version 18. Right. You know, (laughs) what's your favorite thing in the whole world? I love being outside and moving. So on a bike, running on a surfboard. The That's beach like, volleyball frisbee or whatever was a, <laughs> was a clue. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite food? I love toast with peanut butter. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, tough question. I recently got back and I'm thinking about this Salt Lake 
that we swam in in Croatia on the Dalmatian coast. And oh, wow. It was just sparkling and blue. And I love water. Sparkly. Yeah. If you could describe success in one word, what word would you choose? Tricky. Only one word. <laughs> I was going to say I love kind of objective excellence, but I'm always looking at sort of how does one think about multi-channel excellence? So not mm. just one thing, but like kind of all around. Okay. I'll let you have a couple words. That's fine. <laughs> How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for my enthusiasm for life. I don't think that'll be a problem. If you could go back and talk to a younger Carla, what advice would you give her? Oh, go fast and don't worry about the mess. Everything's going to be fine. What's your favorite sound? Uh, the sound of the wind. And gosh, out of all your experiences and all the things you've learned and you've done such extensive study, what is the best lesson you've learned? I think I learned this from my PhD advisor when I was doing lab science. It was keep digging for what matters most. Why are you doing something? What is most critical? What gives you your impact? Keep looking for that. And then don't be afraid to focus on that. Even if everyone else is doing a bundle of stuff. Forget them. Yeah. Just focus on that, right? Now, I'm gonna, I got one more question for you, and I meant to ask this earlier, and it slipped my mind. I was so engaged in listening to your answers. But FAXA, where'd you come up with that? So FAXA means it's related to the word for a task in Latin. Okay. okay. And to me, growing up and all through my life, I looked at big things as a series of the right small tasks. So like no one thing was probably that hard. Staying the course and all of that, absolutely a challenge. But to me, if I could just break it down into the right set of tasks, I knew I'd be okay. And so I think that's part of how I approach coaching also. It's to take the big thing that someone wants to accomplish and to say, you have all the parts of this. We need to sequence them. We need to prioritize them. But like, you got this. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Because every time you say something, it when you are looking at the strategy and the execution, when you're working with a client, how important is sequencing? Like in the order at which you do certain things, is that important? I think it can be important, particularly around how someone feels about it. Sometimes it's worth sequencing things with the most approachable thing first, assuming all other things being equal. Uh -huh. Because if you can help someone build some momentum and build a sense of self-efficacy, why would you not have them try to do the next harder thing when they already feel like they're winning? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's one type of sequencing. Another type of sequencing is to say, hey, if I don't have this in place, none of the rest matters. And so that's a very like, that's often like a business priority or business constraint type of sequencing. Right. So I think a lot about sequencing, but there isn't just one rule of sequencing. So you have to think about kind of what's the whole scenario, what's most going to help this person give sure. them escape. Well, yeah, I have some clients in, in just talking about their day, mm -hmm. some clients will say, depending upon their particular behavioral wiring, they will say, I want to do the toughest thing first yeah. because yeah. everything else in my day <laughs> will be get easier. Yes. Other people will say, I want to do the easiest thing first and work my way up to the more difficult. Exactly. Right. So I was curious about your thoughts about that and yeah. I'm going to have to quit now or I'll keep you all day. So <laughs> this has been a total pleasure. Tony. So, so listen, tell everybody how to find out more about Carla Fowler and Thaxa yeah. and all the things you have to offer. 
Awesome. Well, a great place to reach me is through my website, which is thaxa.com. T-H-A-X-A. You can message me through the site. My contact info is up there as well. I've got a welcome page that'll be for this podcast and we'll make sure that gets in the show notes. But I think having great coaching is so important. And so I put up a free download on there just about how to find a good coach. What are some mistakes that happen when you're going through that process of looking for a coach and how can you avoid those so that you can have a good process and be really kind of happy with your experience. Fantastic. Um, Put that up there. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can follow me there. That's where I often post when I'm on a podcast or if I'm posting other content. Well, we can't wait for you to post about us. Excellent. We'll do that. Ladies and gentlemen, the highly talented and very effective Carla Fowler. So thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate you making time for this. I really, really do. And I hope you'll come back sometime. Absolutely. I'd love to. Carla Fowler, everybody. Stand by. I'll have more for you right here on Better Than Before, right after this. What a wonderful visit today with Carla Fowler. I hope you learned some things in that interview. I know I certainly did. And I hope Carla will come back very, very soon to be with us here on Better Than Before. That's our program today. We're all done, and we're going to send you off here asking you to follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and come over and join my free Facebook page, Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. Special thanks to our super producer, Tessa Hall, who always puts these episodes together. And until we come together again next week here for more learning and education and good times, I'm your host, Tony Richards, here on Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. Reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.